Yo, what up, everybody? Welcome to the show. What up, Billy? How's it going? What's up? This is our first time back on the Zoom screen since Winter Clash. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, it's been a while since we did this. Because even before Winter Clash, we kind of took a couple weeks before uh, putting out an episode. So, hell yeah. It's good to be back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Super good to be back. Um, Pumped, episode 141. We've been talking about doing this one for a while. We've been back and forth with Clark for a couple years now. Um, To the OGs who may be in the room or in the chat uh, paying attention to this episode, uh, Clark is a super OG from the East Coast, uh, Baltimore. Um, he might we might find out that he's originally from somewhere else, but as far as I know from the OG times, like he was like a Baltimore legend. He's been around, did some of the hardest skating tricks ever. Since then, he started his own skate company, and now he has the compound where he throws events at, where he just had one this past summer, and I'm sure he'll have more stuff coming up. And we're going to get into all of that. But before we do, thank you for joining episode 141. If you don't already, please follow us on all of our sh- social media platforms. We have a Facebook. You can give us a like. We have a YouTube channel. You could, If uh, you like what you're hearing, please hit the subscribe button and the notification bell. We have an iTunes. Again, if you like what you're hearing, give us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. It's very helpful. Follow us on Instagram, por favor. And, oh, my God, I said por favor like that. So, <laughs> so cringy, so cringy. <laughs> But, um, yeah, <laughs> I wasn't um, that bad. But we also have a Patreon. Uh, if you would like to be a member of our Patreon community, you could be a member for as little as three dollars a month. Um, when you become a Patreon, you have access to exclusive content. We have special segments. We have trick tips. They're called Inside Outs. We have three pieces. We have section reviews. You also get the jump on being able to ask questions to some of our guests. You know who we're having on before we publicly announce them. So you can have uh, you know, exclusive access there. And you are automatically entered to a free drawing every month to win something from our online store, whether that be a five-panel hat, a mug, a t-shirt. We have recently added some new stuff. We have a hoodie. We have a tank top. The hoodie is dope. I've been the wearing the hoodie nice. all over town some compliments on it there's some embroidery on it i got the jump street uh logo right on the on the sleeve Woo. so um yeah that's my spiel for today hell yeah and i want to give a shout out to our new patreon supporter uh thomas Lodato. thank you all so much for supporting the show and speaking of patreon we have a wtf brought to us by our patreon supporter rueda skate shop out of puerto rico and we have right here alex del campo aka inline gelato with I, he called this a flat zero, which is like a backflip, but his head stayed in the same spot somehow or something. I don't know what was going on there. He calls it a flat zero. This is something I've never seen before. One more time. It's coming. Here we go. Huh. It's like he pivoted around his head, <laughs> like his whole body pivoted around his head. It's something you really have to see to kind of understand. It's hard for audio listeners to describe um, yeah. what we're seeing here. But I think it's a first for me that I've never seen. It might be an MBD. It could be wrong. But pretty impressive. So, hell yeah. Shout out Inline July. <coughs> and thank you to Rueda Skate Shop, our Patreon supporter, for bringing us this WTF this week. It's so cool like to see all like the, the young kids. Like We just came back from a winter clash this weekend where we did have uh, – we did episode 138, 139, and 140. If you haven't seen those already, please check those out. They're really good episodes. Um, but there were so many kids around and so much talent. And seeing like these young kids be- come out and uh, 
it just makes it just uh, makes me feel really good about the culture right now. It's like super healthy at the moment. So uh, seeing all like the young talent and look, they're they're inventing tricks. Is that an invented trick? I don't know, but I, I I've never seen something done in that way before. Tell me what you think in the comments. What is that? What would you call it? Yeah, that's um, a that's a that's a unique one. And I like how um, I was talking to people at Winter Clash too, like the local Europeans and stuff. And people are like, yeah, this is like our second and third generation of like kids coming up already in recent times. And I'm like, damn. In at least in like New York or the states, we're like still on our first generation, kind of like or still that first generation is kind of like struggling still. So right. it is growing with the youth and everything. It just depends on where around the world you are. But we're growing. We're getting more of us, more more soldiers out there. I like it. Yeah, that's what's up. Um, we also have bitter cold coming up this weekend. So, um, Austin, you're going, correct? I am going. I will be there. You're going, Billy. Okay, I'm going as well. I'm gonna have a booth there for Mesmer. Nice. And um, I, I've been having some like knee issues since the uh, bitter cold, but they have like uh, a thing for like the champions, like oh, people yeah. who like formerly like won bitter colds, and like they you basically get like uh, to skate the course by yourself. So I'm like doing everything I can to like take care of my knee so I could like hopefully skate that event if I can. You should but recreate your winning trick from, two, was it 2004? What year did you win? 2004. Almost 20 19 years ago. 19 years ago. You should yeah. recreate that trick and you can do it at that skate park. Gap over the rail at two, 270 tops on the damage. That might not be the best trick for your knee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to I'm gonna see if I could do like, it would be cool to do like anything from like that time. But like I, I look back at it, like, no, like, the tricks I had done, like, from back then. Yeah. But I was, like, looking at some of those tricks, like, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. It was different times. I mean, but, you, were, you were a different person 19 years ago. Not that your skill yeah. level has changed at all, but I'm sure mentally um, you're a lot smarter than you were, rather than throwing yourself at down ledges and gapping over stuff. But I still, I still, I still think that's important to throw yourself, you know, sometimes. <laughs> it's fun to do that um, once in a while. You get that rush. Yeah, it's not a... Skating is not supposed to be just fully technical and calculated. It's not supposed to be just fully wild. It could be different ends of the spectrum and everything in between. Mm -hmm. um, I'm wondering if our guest is going to be attending. I would imagine so. I hope so. I do but believe so. you know what? Um, we, should, we should ask him. We should. Um, real quick before we bring him on, I just want to let everyone know about our sponsor for this episode. We have Blank. Everybody, you've heard us a thousand times, but it still doesn't get old. Please check out that new Blank 2023 Team Skate in Pigeon Blue. Um, a few weeks ago, I put out my uh, Blank Team Skate review video on YouTube. So check that out if you haven't already. Uh, we had a lot of fun with that, messing around, and it, it got a lot of positive feedback. So check it out if you haven't already. The Blank Team Skate is now available worldwide um, in full and half sizes from US 6 to 12 and a half. And they just released also the hydrogen 60 millimeter wheels for sale as well, because those are top notch wheels. Um, I've been riding those for years now. So you could buy those wheels also separately from the skate. Um, price point is $299 US. So it's a great price point for a solid skate right out the box. And check out the Blank Team Skate. Thank you for sponsoring this episode. And there Austin is right there in the Jump Street hoodie looking sharp. There it was. I should have wore it for this episode. I would have sweated my ass off though if I did that. You're going to bring it this weekend? I will bring it. It will be keeping me warm this weekend. Yes, definitely. Oh, and if you're going this weekend, uh, you know, dress warm. Apparently, there's going to be a, quite a blizzard ahead. And if you're driving, drive safe. Uh, looks like it's going to come down pretty hard. So, Has there ever been a bitter cold where there wasn't a blizzard that weekend? Literally, it's every single bitter cold weekend. Every single one. Yeah. So, yeah, everyone um, be safe out there. But should we bring in our guest? Yeah. 
All right, let's bring in our guest. Please, everybody, welcome our guest for this episode, Mr. Clark Kurtman. <laughs> what up? Welcome, Clark. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. How's it going, guys? Thank you for letting me come on. No, absolutely. We, we've been trying to figure this out. Uh, I think we've been back and forth for a little while about this, so it's good to finally have you on. Um, just saw you down at Winter Clash and been seeing like a lot of new stuff coming out with Faction and everything that you're working on. And like I was saying, I, I even had some friends from New York attend uh, your event at the, at the Compound the last yep. summer. Jordan and the Ghetto Community guys went down. So I was I was interested to see that you were holding events there because when I was first coming together, I was like, oh, this is really cool. I wonder if he's going to do anything. So it's yeah. cool to see that all the different ends you're being able to do things uh, within the community. Absolutely. We are very busy, hands in a lot of pots, trying to make stuff happen for the community. So, Love that. Uh, yeah, like the events are so important for the community and wanting to get into you with that. But as you are, this is your first time on the episode and I have a long, you know, I've known you for a long time. I remember meeting you at Spicy back in the day, like with the yeah. nature guys years ago, you were in like the, like a lot of those older nature skate videos and beyond and a lot of those like original East coast videos that never quite made it to YouTube. And I think like you had to kind of be there like, and remember it from, from our era to like, remember a lot of that stuff. Um, as far as I know, you're, you're from Baltimore, but maybe, maybe not. Would you care to like enlighten us about like your intro? Yeah, I'm, I'm from uh, about uh, 30 minutes north of Baltimore. I uh, grew up in Bel Air, Maryland. Um, but Baltimore is our, our closest city. Um, I was born in Georgia, but quickly moved to, to Maryland. So I consider growing up in Baltimore or Bel Air. So Cool. Uh, how did you get introduced to this thing that uh, became such a big part of your life? Well, it was funny because um, when I started, it was uh, 90, like end of 90, 91. So it was right at the beginning of when everything kind of went from rec to aggressive. So my initial um, dabblings in, in rollerblading was I played street hockey. So we started a street hockey league in Bel Air and, and I ended up having to skate to the, the hockey court every weekend. So I became very familiar with, with skates and inlining. And during that time, it was um, right off the heels of like skateboarding where everyone skateboarded. So it was a natural kind of progression to try to do things that we did on skateboards on rollerblades. So um, it was kind of a natural progression for me. To say that, you started like uh, we're around in like 90, 91. And, you know, from from doing this episode, I know that uh, speaking to Chris Edwards, that November 21st, 1992 one. or one. Oh, that's number. But it was like the first time a front side had been done. So yeah. you're, you're kind of saying that you were there from like the very beginning and maybe like a very, little bit before. Very beginning. When when I first started, it started with just me and my friends in my my driveway skating um, ramps that we had built for skateboarding, skating like four by fours that we found in the garage, like that kind of stuff. There were literally no tricks invented. We were just doing the little, the little kid thing. So um, it was crazy when you would start to see things come out. So when, you know, I ended up getting a, a Team Paradise thing later on and just starting to see tricks being invented and kind of blowing my mind about what was possible in rollerblading, I would just kind of, 
went on from there. Did you like ever, since you were like so far early in the stages like that, did, were you doing tricks or like your friends doing tricks like a like a Mizu or a Maki or something or like a kind of grab and then like you're like, oh, this is awesome. And then like a year later, you see like a pro doing it. You're like, damn, I did that so long ago. What's funny is that, you know, when you first start, front sides are kind of natural. They, they kind of naturally evolve to be something that you try to do. Um, but literally everything else, I had no idea. And it just wasn't, it never came to my mind to try it. So when people started doing Mizus and porn stars, I was like, my mind was blown. Like that was an option. It's like, oh, you just turn your foot, you know? Like when you first start, you're trying to do like front flips and, and what you can, because you know from acrobatics, you're like, oh, I could probably do that on skates. But the, the way aggressive went, it was always kind of a surprise for me until I got much more uh, versed in rollerblading as a whole. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people, uh, especially from that era, it was mainly about big air. Like, you know, yep. like everything was about like air and like launch ramps, launching yeah, off the launch ramp, ramp and like <laughs> get, getting flips going on. And um, I, I think that that's a really like interesting perspective uh, starting from such an early era on because like, you know, you talk to, especially in this area, you talk to a lot of people who have been skating maybe five years, maybe 10 even, or even mm -hmm. 12 or something like that to see like the growth and trajectory of what happened in skating from like such an early point on to like all like the stages we'd gone through to where we yep. are now. It's such like a, like, what was that, what was that experience like for you to see like skating go from this recreational thing to learning the grinds to see it kind of blow up in just a short span of time? I think for me, I have kind of a unique position with it starting so early that um, it was really kind of the, the new fun thing you I don't know if you guys have experienced this but when you first start skating something clicks and you have this you start to develop this really um this passion for it and you're almost an obsession about going to skate every day like school kind of falls to the wayside a little bit everything else you're just like you're like all I want to do is go skate whether that be in my my neighborhood or you know in my front yard or or building things to skate um it was kind of amazing that it kind of clicked that switch for me, you know, that it became my focus in my, you know, teens and, and early twenties. Yeah. I feel like, um, I feel like as long as I've known you, like um, not only has the skating been a big part of who you are and a high level of skating, which, which I'm wanting to get into in just a second, but I feel like, um, construction was a big part of it because if I'm not mistaken, like you were building a lot of the stuff at Spicy in Baltimore. Yeah. You, you had you worked at Woodward and I, I think more as a counselor, but maybe like doing like building and participating there. So how did how did you learn that and how did that get tied in to your skating? So uh, it really all goes back to my driveway. Um, when I was really young, uh, I never shied away from construction as a whole. Um, I have many occasions where my parents would be pissed off at me because I took apart their bookcase to build a leg, <laughs> put an angle iron on it, just skate. You know, um, I actually got in a lot of trouble because I took my dad's uh, ping pong table and made a quarter pipe out of it um, without realizing that it was all particle board. So as soon as it rained, it kind of dissolved. Oh, no. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, from the beginning, I was building stuff, um, trying to emulate what I would see in videos and what have you. You know, the first video I saw was Dare to Air. Um, and there wasn't a lot of built ramps except for like uh, established skate parks there to emulate.
But then when I started going to NIS, uh, my first NIS was in 96 in uh, Woolman Rink. So literally right after that, I went home and built a replica of their the death rail boxes in my front yard to skate. I have so much footage of me just doing front sides on that for years. Man, that's uh, that's. I'm I'm sorry, Austin, if I'm going no, on and stop me anytime. Uh, but for, for for those of you who don't know, Woman Rink is uh, New York City. It was one of like the old original Nisses in New York, and very nostalgic. And a lot of that footage that was seen in there. Um, yeah, it's 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 really. Um, it's crazy to be able to like come up from that era, especially on the East Coast and saying like your first video was Dare to Air. Yeah. Uh, I feel like on the East Coast, it kind of reached a little later. Um, at least like for, in comparison to California, I feel like just like there's not as many people like from that era. Were there were there like many other people in your area who were participating so, like this? So when I first started, I had, you know, the standard... Um, standard guys in my neighborhood, the guy down the street, I think I had four or five friends that kind of, because I was interested in it, they would also kind of participate just because that's what their friend group was doing. Um, as I skated more and, and, and branched out more, started going to skate parks, started to meet other people, that group would expand. But in the beginning, it was really just very few people in Maryland were skating. Um, and a lot of it was more of a wreck uh, perspective. You'd run into people. Um, the skate parks are what really kind of built the community around aggressive, for, for me at least. Um, and in the early times, you know, you would have crews that were like mixed with like skateboarders and um, people on BMX bikes. It would be just kind of everybody doing the same kind of thing. So hmm. that kind of makes me think too, because you seem to be like a person who's built with like a lot of like passion type of projects with building these ramps back in the day. Um, you have faction skate company. Now you have the compound, your skate park at home. We're getting to all these things later on. Did you have any lesser known passion projects back then that kind of uh, like preface all these things? Not, not really. Like, um, so I was, I want to say I was probably 11, 12 ish when I kind of found rollerblading. So that's like, that's like the time that, you know, you're, you're about to go into high school. I think it's like eighth, eighth, ninth grade. But like, that's when everything gets trying to change. Before it, I played hockey. I was pretty passionate about that, but it just never clicked the way rollerblading did. It was kind of a different thing. The obsession didn't happen until rollerblading. Um, I always kind of try to think about it, or whether it would be like if I would have found anything else that, that kind of clicked that way if I would have been as passionate about it or, you know, it would just been something to pass the time. But um, I was very lucky to find rollerblading. And then everything else that in my life that I've been interested in has kind of sprouted from that, which is, is amazing to me. Mm -hmm. um, is, is it fair to say that the NIST in 96 at Woman Rink was like your first big rollerblading event? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, honestly, it was the first time I ever dropped in on a quarter pipe. Uh, <laughs> so you, I showed up at the contest and the, you, you've seen footage of it previously. Like it, it was a pretty big deal. There was, they, back then they built ramps, um, without really kind of thinking about it. They just kind of built stuff. So they had eight foot quarter pipes on each end of the course. 
And I had never dropped in on a quarter pipe and everybody was starting on top of that quarter pipe. So I was like, I guess I have to start up there. So when, you know, they count down your run, I'm standing there looking at this quarter pipe, like, okay, I've seen everyone else do it. Let's get it done. And, uh, it, it, it was one of the scarier times of my life, uh, <laughs> but it worked out fine. Uh, but it, 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 it changed me. <laughs> I can't believe your first quarter pipe you dropped in was an eight foot quarter pipe. Usually people yeah. start with like a little three foot, four foot. It was maybe. That is it was scary. Yeah. I, I was scared out of my mind. Uh, it, it was not in the moment. It was a scary experience, but I'm glad it happened that way. It made everything else feel okay. <laughs> See, um, like a, a, lot, a lot of people don't know because like now, like again, if you started skating 10, 15, even 20 years ago, that um, there are skate parks kind of everywhere. But back then it was really hard to find a car quarter pipe or hard to find a mini ramp. Yeah, yeah there was nothing. I remember I had like skated for like two and a half years already, like and was able to hit rails before I hit my first mini ramp. And when I tried to yeah. drop in, it was a six footer. Austin knows it's in the, by the Safari Golf and Staten Island yeah. of the Golf and Staten Island. <laughs> and I tried to drop in and I went straight on my face because I had like no idea how to do it. So kudos to you for being able to manage an eight it foot was, quarter pipe under such pressure. Yeah, it's crazy. It was, it was terrifying. I, yeah. you know, I had done, you know, we had two foot kickers in our driveway, you know, like a launch box to do flips off of. So I dropped in on that. So I understood the process. But a quarter pipe like that was just we didn't have anything like that in my my neighborhood. We didn't have a skate park until much later. Um, and even that it was like 40 minutes from my house. So I kind of had to wait till I was old enough to have a car and drive and all that kind of stuff. So the beginning yeah. year was mainly skating sewer grates in your neighborhood. And don't get me started on that. Cause that's scary as well, but I wouldn't <laughs> do that now. <laughs> I used to skate the one in front of my house all the time too. That was, those are the days. Uh, I never, I never thought about that concept though, about back in the day, because there wasn't many skate parks back then like there is now and then you go skate NIS, which is an all ramp contest like how do you even do anything you you just dropped in a quarter pipe for your first time the day of launch boxes like how you do anything pretty much i i would say that it's very similar to um what i i think some people uh experience going to like a winter clash you get there there's a lot of rollerbladers and they're all really good so you're walking around kind of shell-shocked at first. And during this time uh, with NIST, it was, you know, you had kind of rock stars in rollerblading. So you had the Dave Kalashes, the, the Arlo's, like, like Brooke Howard Smith. You had those people at those contests just skating and having fun. And I was a little kid gromming out like, oh, I saw him in that movie. Like, that's the same guy. Like, so a lot of that stuff was going on in the background of that. Me and my four friends just kind of walking around. Uh checking out everything that's going on. But with contests, it's kind of like you get in the zone of like, you just have to kind of go after it and start skating things and start hitting the individual obstacles to see what you can do and and basically do the stuff that you do at home and try to have fun with it. Um, the nerves tend to go away after the kind of first drop in. You know, you get past that and you just kind of keep going and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Like I, I can totally see that, like and relate. Like I remember, like uh, on the early days, just attending those events and 
and just like what an intimidating prospect that it was. And uh, mm-hmm. even getting like the similar, and it's cool that you could tap into that and remember that because like, you know, you go to Winter Clash nowadays, it could be overwhelming, but you know, yeah. you, you know people and it's kind of like a community you've been around for a long time. But when you first like enter those events and you're seeing like people who were like superstars, people you saw on MTV or videos, yep. and it's, I feel like it was, it was, it was like a really big deal, especially back then. Yeah. I mean, honestly, today, like even today, being in the industry for as long as I have been, I still get those kind of butterflies when you go to big events like this. Even when you see people um, that you've seen online, you've seen them doing gnarly stuff. And like it kind of brings it home that they're actual people, too. So like that dynamic is still there and you still have the nerves of like, oh, my gosh, I just saw some craziness go down. And what am I going to do? You know, like, how am I going to get in that mix? Um, but what's nice about now is that I'm older, so there is no expectation for a lot of that um, death-defying stuff. I can kind of just walk around and enjoy it. Now you got to represent as a company owner, though. You gotta, you have that clout to live up to. <laughs> I got a, I got a fresh supply of videos on my phone. I can pull out and say, "Hey, this is what I used to do." <laughs> <laughs> no, you definitely threw down hard um, over the years, like street and park. So you have nothing to, to worry about. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I was actually going to mention that, um, you know, a lot. I feel like a lot of people from uh, like the older era, I, I don't even I, I feel hesitant to say our era because you've started a few years before me. But from that older era, um, there were like even times I was like trying to like look up uh, old clips of myself from before 2005, before 2000, and they're yeah. just like not online. And I know you have a lot of stuff like that, like a lot, like for example, like a lot of the nature video stuff isn't online. And yeah. like some of the tricks that you were doing at the time, I I remember you were like one of maybe a handful or like one of the first to be doing a lot of these tricks, like full cab TTP on down rails, like 360 in spin porn star. And then like out of nowhere, like, a huge 180 and be like, Oh, he's got that too. Like, that's really crazy. Um, what do you, like, what, do you, what, like, um, I guess my question is like, where did you get your influence from? Like, or who was like a big motivator for like pushing your skating at that time? So me as a person, when I was, when I was younger, I, I've always been kind of a technical rollerblader. Like my goal in rollerblading was to do everything. Like I wanted to be able to do everything. I always found it a challenge to try things that, you know, either I saw someone do, how can I make it a little different? How can I do everything, whether that be switch or regular or take the tricks that I learned skating park and do them on street handrails. Like I always like to push the boundaries of what was capable, regardless of what everyone was kind of doing in the industry at the moment. Um, It was more of a, for me trying to accomplish something than trying to replicate other people, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I, I spent a lot of time, a lot of hours at a skate park, just sessioning the same boxes and doing things like trying to learn a trick and do it 10 times before I counted that I could do it, you know, like make sure I could do it 10 times in a row. And then it's like, okay, I, I, I can count that one that I can do it, you know, not wow. like, yeah, like not like, oh, I, I did it that one time. It was more of I want to be able to do it consistently every single time, first shot. Like that's um, that was kind of always my focus. Um, and I don't think 
in the industry, there wasn't always a lot of people that had that kind of perspective. It was more of a, not to say all stunt skating, but it was more, let me do this daring, dangerous thing or this challenge to accomplish it that one time instead of like, I wanted to be able to, to repeat it over and over again. So that's important to do. Uh, I was about I, to say, yeah, sorry. No, I was going to say that last few things, a few like years where I've been learning tricks. Um, it, I, if you do it three times in a row, that's like when you know you have it locked down. It's not just like you got it once and like that's it. Or I would learn something. I remember when I learned true fish brains, I was so hyped that I learned them. I did. I made sure I did one every single time I skated, no matter what the obstacle yeah. was. Like as long as I was capable of doing it, like every single time, do it, have it locked down. I feel like that's Absolutely. so important to the learning process as well. Not just doing the trick. You could forget it the next time and never do it again. And then do you really learn it at that point? No. Absolutely. And I found that, you know, over time, um, I, I had to work for everything. So it wasn't, for me at least, it wasn't like things just came naturally and like, I would go try a trick and it just worked. Like I had to put in the time to do everything that I've accomplished. Like I was spending time doing full cab true top horns uh, for hours to, to figure out what made it click for me. Um, and then I would usually find tricks that were adjacent to that trick to do, to kind of grow and expand my, my skill sets. So that, that that's what we call a uh, blue collar blading right there. And that and that's what I've always referenced myself as like not necessarily talented, but put in the time to to get it yep. over and over again till it turns out. But a uh, ton of respect for that. I was also going to say, like, I love that mentality of the trying the 10 having it trying it 10 times in a row to have or Austin uh, going and every time he skates, try a true fish. A lot of the things I tell myself when skating now at this stage in life, when I'm trying to get a clip. I'm like, you just got to get one. You just have to land one. But I, I like I like the approach of like the the 10. It's like it's like very like a seems like a martial arts approach almost, you know? Yeah, I, I tried to be very systematic about it because um, when you're trying to learn stuff that you've seen on videos, you don't really have much guidance. So like you see somebody do something on a video and you're like, oh, it makes sense for them to do it. But then when you go try it, it feels it's like, this is just crazy. I don't know how they got there. So to having to do systematic little changes to make sure it works and trying to understand what those changes are um, and why it works was more of my focus. So it, it helped progress things a lot quicker than I think others would progress. Did you bring that stuff to like Woodward when you worked there? Because you were a counselor at Woodward for many, many years and you worked there. So we, like you were teaching kids how to skate. I'm assuming. Yeah. So when I started working at Woodward in 99 was my first year at Woodward. And it was actually kind of on a whim. Um, John Liskey, uh, he was working there over the summer. He's a Baltimore um, skate OG that was around. Um, and he I, I was I was managing Spicy Skate Park and he had given me a call and said, hey, we need counselors. Do you want to come up for a week? I was like, sure. You know, no reason not to. Um, and I, I think I was a counselor for like two or three weeks and then I ended up just doing instruction, um, at Woodward where we had, you know, groups of kids that we would teach things. And, um, I love the idea of trying to pass on the knowledge that you've kind of learned from skating as a whole, um, to other people. Um, what's funny about Woodward though, is that, you know, every week, during the prime of Woodward, 
you'd have a new bunch of kids there. And the, the higher groups that you would get, they were there more to show that they were good than learn anything. Mm. So the mm. first couple days was always like, I had to prove that I deserved to be their instructor, which was, always, which was always a challenge. You know, like, it was always like every week it's like, okay, a whole new group of kids. Like, all right, let's do this again. <laughs> like, um, it was always kind of a challenge to do that. But it was some of the best years of my life living there and, and teaching kids and trying to pass on what, I, what I've learned. Mm-hmm. That's, that's so fascinating to me. Like uh, th- there are a few people who I've like met throughout the years that have like said like you've been their counselor or, or some other people like who we know like uh, um, Adam Kilgore was there for a long time. And uh, yeah, some like other friends, like the names, some, some names escape me right now. But um, that's interesting that they would try to like battle test you to make sure like you were worthy of being like the counselor. Yeah, I never heard that. <laughs> I don't know if it was necessarily they were focused on me specifically, but when you, they would come with like a group of their friends. So everybody would come, like the Boston crew would come, the Texas crew would come and like, they're there with their boys. Like their whole crew is there and they're like really good. Like, I don't want to discredit them at all. Like they're killing it. But when they're in group, it was the kind of teenage mentality of like, I'm too good for this. I don't need anything and trying to connect with people and connect with those kids just to say, hey, there's always stuff to learn. There's things that you've either avoided or not done or you ha- everybody has holes in their game that they could learn something from. So try and make that connection with them so it was always a challenge. And at Woodward, uh, the first day you're there, they actually had to s- not let people skate because everyone would go so hard that they would just break themselves off and be done all week. So the first night, was when all the employees would skate, like the, all the counselors would go session and the kids would just be walking around trying to see what the deal was, you know, trying to understand what camp was and see who was there. That was your time to show off then. <laughs> yeah, that was our time to like, okay, we got to do good enough that they're like respectful. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but, but I, but I, I love that. Uh, what you said there, the, um, there's always something to learn. Um, and, and I think that you can take that in, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, however long you're skating. Uh, you know, a lot of people's uh, favorite skaters maybe can't look over the other shoulder. Like yeah. sometimes like or can't can't pump fakie. Like some of the most fundamental uh, things that like when you apply it switch or you apply it in these other areas. Yeah. So it is very much like a martial art in that way. And I really like that approach of just always trying to like find those holes in your game and then try to like uh, repair, like uh, repair your suit, like, you know, like your armor suit and like to come to full suit. And what's crazy too, is like some of those uh, little things that you do to like step up your game, open up so many different things that you're not aware of until you learn that basic thing. Um, One of the big ones is switch fakie is by far the, one of the hardest things to learn if you, don't do it regularly. And especially when you go to like a mini ramp and on transitions to ride switch fakie looking over the other shoulder with the other foot and back is a nightmare. And once you get to a certain level of being good, you're very reluctant to kind of go back to the beginning to learn those basic things. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because no, I, like, I, 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 yeah. Most of the time, 
when you go to a skate park, you your pride wants you to be able to show at a certain level. Absolutely. Like you, you kind of want to be able to be like, okay, I can hold my own. This is fine. But when you're learning switch fakey, you get humbled real quick because you go into it thinking, you know, oh, I can go fast into this. I've been skating for 20 years. This is fine. You get switch fakey and then you run into a quarter pipe like a wall. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> then you're getting up off the ground trying to figure out what happened. So mm -hmm. um, it's good to have those things that you can still work on and try to be uh, humble about it. There's a lot of fundamentals that most of us skip because we're just so focused on doing the tricks, right? We're so focused on like, yeah. okay, I learned the Royale. Now let me try a 270 Royale. Let me try a 450 Royale. You forget the basics yeah. that are probably more important than learning anything else. Yeah, absolutely. No, and, and, and I think it's it's true. Like when, when you're a kid getting into skating, like your primary concern isn't kind of like to get all the fundamentals down and then like build yourself up right. You want to like look cool. You want to do cool stuff. You want to like hit a rail and like, oh, let me do something. I'll leave. Let me jump off the biggest thing. And you yeah. might neglect these other parts. And then when you build yourself to a certain place, it's like you said, it's really hard to go back down to humble yourself again because you can have like even this established name, but trying to learn something completely uh, like out of pocket, like you can look like a real rookie out there and it could be embarrassing it could be humbling you could look vulnerable but it's so necessary and super important Absolutely. so it's good to just be able to create the space to do that what's crazy too on the the kind of flip side of that um as skating got larger and the tricks got more difficult there actually became a time when um people started doing hurricane stuff so like hurricane topsoles hurricane sweat stances that kind of stuff all the spin to win stuff mm -hmm. that if you already knew how to like do 540s and spin it was harder to learn hurricane stuff but if you knew if you didn't know how to spin and you could pencil spin you could do all that hurricane stuff a lot easier so a lot of people they get to a certain level and they have to unlearn how to spin so that you drop your feet and spin quicker and then put your feet on as opposed to trying to do a bio five to a kind grind and it's just not working Never thought of it that way. Yeah. Like, That's why I suck at these tricks. <laughs> yeah. It, it's one of the things like unlearning how to spin so that you're picking your feet up after you've done the spin is one of the hardest things to learn when you're trying to progress into like kind of that next level of difficulty of trick. Um, so a lot of kids would come and they would have struggle with some of the basic stuff, but could do like hurricane front royals. And I would just be blown away like, like, I don't understand that because I went through the process of kind of learning everything like soul grind to Mizu to porn star to, to, you know, that and then do half cap to all of them and like kind of a systematic way. And other people go right up this silo to like hurricane stuff and like can put on that front of like, OK, I'm killing it and killing it in one silo is still good. But it's like there's so many other things, too, that you find holes really easily. Mm hmm. No, we, ha we we totally had that in like New York because we were like such like rail people. We were doing like alley-oop tricks on rails maybe before even the soul grind. Like because like, I mean, we had learned the soul grind, but then we just like didn't spend any time refining it. We just like rushed to the next trick, like trying to like progress as, yeah. as quick as you can. And you kind of get better at those and that becomes more of a comfort zone than like the soul grind or like the Royale. And yeah, yeah. it's really fascinating that that. <laughs> Or how about people um, doing rails, throwing themselves down rails and not being able to roll fakie out of the tricks? Because <laughs> yeah. I've definitely seen that before. Like you do yeah. a soul grind it, down the rail and you just run off it or you land fakie and they don't know how to like turn around afterwards. Like, are you kidding me? 
Yeah, you can like you can tell the people that were focused on grinds or focused on rails or even ledges to a certain extent. And then for me, being an instructor, it was like, okay, where can I find these holes? And it was usually like the the more like, okay, let's ride fakie or let's just skating or like looking over both shoulders and um, people would be very angry at me about that. <laughs> <laughs> they would get frustrated real quick. I can picture that. No, I, I can totally see that. And like uh, speaking for like myself, even as like a young kid, like uh, I think I was trying to hit rails before I knew how to skate. Like, you yeah. know, sure. we I knew how to like skate backwards and go forwards, but like to like, I didn't spend much time learning like how to skate. I feel like at least like there's been so much evolution in skating. Like that's one of like the things now that people can like mm -hmm. look at, like, Oh, the movements that you're embracing, like, we used to just try to like get to the rail and get to the bottom and how we came off of it. It didn't matter. And like all yeah, those yeah. little things. So it's interesting to see like the evolution in that period. And it's funny to hear that uh, you had like those, the idea of like the basic fundamentals and teaching it to the kids, even at that era. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, I mean, it was great times. I mean, those fundamentals make it so much easier to do all the other things. It's like knowing how to skate up to something prepares you to be able to do whatever gnarly trick you want to do on the rail. And it gives you that stable base to ride away. You know, like it makes it way easier than people like there. I mean, there was kids coming to, to Woodward that, you know, would have a setup or a skate that like barely rolled, you know, some people like the wheels were shot, like, and they're basically stepping to go to things just to do the grind. And when they were doing the grind, they're good to go. But like getting to it was a challenge. So like just doubling down on that kind of stuff um, was great. And you know, at that time at Woodward, they had um, both AM groups and afternoon groups, like younger kids in the morning and then teenagers at night or in the afternoon. Um, so we we were there was like eight hundred plus kids at camp just rollerblading. So it was like the prime of Woodward. There were so many kids probably on little tiny worn out wheels because their poor parents spent all their money sending them to Woodward. They couldn't afford wheels with their skates anymore. It was so expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, so you're building things. You're managing Spicy. You're yeah. working at Woodward. You're skating at this super high level. Um, what was a younger Clark Kirkman? What was the goal for a younger Clark Kirkman? Were you saying, I want to be on the X Games? I'm wanting to be pro. I'm wanting to one day start a skate company. What was like at that time, late 90s, early 2000s? What was like the push and what was the drive? So I would say um, for me, uh, the drive was always just skating. I never really had machinations of like being a professional or being um taking things to the next level it was always for me the tricks and being able to do more tricks and do more and skate um i would say when i started to get older and traveling more so i would travel to you know pennsylvania there was a bunch of skate parks that we would go to regularly you'd meet other groups of people and it was all about hanging out with friends and and skating and um having fun a lot of the industry stuff didn't come around until much later of just being involved and trying to, um, you know, like when you're young, you don't really, you usually don't think about sponsors. You don't think about kind of the industry side of it. 
until it becomes an option. Um, it's not something I used to chase down. Um, initially, I started doing NISs, and I was I was a hardcore NIS person. It was kind of um, it kind of reminds me of like East Coast and West Coast uh, battles. Like I was a NIS guy, so I didn't skate ASAs. Hmm. You know, in the original uh, yeah. grouping, it was like I would go to all the NISs on the East Coast, just go to those and have fun and and skate. But ASA was this other thing. I was like, ah, nah, I don't. I don't mess with that. Um, and then ASA started to get bigger. Um, and at a certain point, I, I stopped competing. Um, I, I lost interest in it to a certain extent, um, which surprises me to this day because I really enjoy the, the feel of contest and the technical appreciation of like 60 second run kind of contests. Um, but for a long time, I didn't, I didn't compete at all. It just wasn't a priority. I was living at Woodward. I was doing my own thing, skating, having fun. Um, and then I saw finals. I think it was the year that Kilgore went pro. They took top top twelve. Um, there was a year that Ben Weiss, I think, jumped off of the that tent thing into the roll-in. Um, oh, yeah, I don't remember where it was. But I saw that and I saw all the lines and I was like, I could play top 12. It was really uh, more of me being borderline cocky about it and being like, yeah, they're doing these tricks. I can do those tricks and qualify. So why don't I start competing again? So that was, I want to say the first year I started doing ASA again was like 2001, maybe, I think. Yeah, right around 2001. Um, started competing again and going to airborne, going to all the regional contests. This is back when we had like regional placements. And then you go to like, I guess it would be semifinals or like regional qualifiers. And then you'd had national contests, like the finals you would go to. Um, I was lucky enough to like qualify it, like I think airborne and then get all the way to the one that was in LA. Uh, and the first year that I got to finals, uh, I, again, had that shell shock. You know, you go to the course and it's like you see Aragon just killing it and like Stefan Alfano doing like 540 true topsoles on some big vert wall. And you're just like, all right, what am I going to do? You know, right. at that point, they had uh, a Gator launch box in the middle front after a 30 foot roll in. And I'm like, I don't that's not what I want to do. <laughs> So, you know, you just kind of putz around on the course and, you know, find your line. <laughs> um, what, what's a gator launch box? I never heard that term before. A gator pit launch on a launch box? box? Like, so a, it's the ones that have, like, the wavy tops? No, it's the ones where you have the takeoff and yeah. then you have the landing and there's nothing in here. Oh, like a, no like, like a mega ramp kind of thing? Yeah, but no deck. So you can't, yeah. like... It's like a launch ramp with no deck, Austin. Okay. Yeah, you can't, launch like, ramp. speed check it. You can't go down and just say, oh, I'm almost making it. Let me yeah, feel yeah. the it's, it's basically drop in and go. I never and heard it, that before. Yeah, you're, you're lucky because they're terrible. <laughs> no, I don't <laughs> want to skate they, they, they called it a gator pit because, like, hypothetically, you have to clear it. And if you don't clear it, the, the gators are there, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and it was also one of those situations where you're at a contest with um, established pros that skated Launchbox a lot more than I did, um, right. like Jason Stensman. And he's telling them, push the landing back. I need more. I need more. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm sitting there Typical like, Typical stinksman. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't need more. I want less. Just give me a <laughs> yeah. 
Because <laughs> uh, you make a deck. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, give me something. I need something <laughs> there just to check it out. So it's like you avoid that. Yeah. But you have like you know Stinsman trying to double backflip it and Jaron Grobe doing nine hundreds and you're just a guy that really enjoys grinding. So you're like, all right, let me find a quarter pipe, try to find something to do. And even some of the bigger grind stuff, like some of those boxes, um, they would have, they'd have shotgun rails on like the side of the roll-in and it being a 30 foot roll-in, it's just gnarly steep. Like right. it's just not conducive to like trying like hard tricks. It's like, okay, yeah. I'll do a full grind on this and I hope I survive. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it made for uh, a great finals. It's great for the crowd. Uh, but for like the technical role playing, it's like, you're like, what have I gotten myself into? You know? Yeah. Did, did you, uh, I, I feel like this is leading up to the big question. Were you able to, because for those who don't know ASA, uh, the Aggressive Skating Association, uh, back in that time, uh, if you, that's what kind of was the general standard for what being pro meant. You had to be ASA pro to be pro, at least considered by overwhelming majority of the people within the industry. So I got to ask, were you able to become an ASA pro? Not that year. That year, I did not do anything. I you think were eventually? My, uh, the following year, I, I did qualify. Oh, uh, I, I think I got second. Congratulations. Thank oh, you. Nice. Second? <laughs> yeah. I, I only got beat by, uh, I think it was Matt Donald from Canada and um, someone from Spain. So I like to think I was the top U.S. participant. Nice. Nice. (laughs) uh, But that being said, my highlight from the first year I was there was just hanging out. I was sitting with uh, Farmer was there as well. Um, We were sitting on some ledge because we didn't feel like skating. It was while he was filming for his VG19 profile. Like during that time, it was in Texas. And that was when he was like filming with with Dave for that. Um, And contests kind of weren't his thing either. I, I got the impression. So. We were just kind of hanging out like, ah, this isn't what we want to be doing. So, but it was, it was always a fun time, you know, cause once you start skating these contests, you start to know everyone that's there. So it just becomes like a reunion of people that you've met before. And then the more you do it, it's just kind of having fun and, and skating. I also think uh, a lot of people don't realize, um, even though like you skated spicy and worked at Woodward, like you have like a very heavy street skating kind of base with like your grinds and like your down rails and things like that. And there was a huge gap between uh, street skating and ASA at the time. There was actually like quite a conflict at the time where street skaters were kind of like going against the ASA. And like there was almost like, there was a very little hope to become pro without having learned how to use a launch ramp, how to use these things. Like being pro on the streets was not really a thing. And it took a while for people to break through. Yeah. I think that there's, there's always been a dynamic in rollerblading that separated park skating and street skating. Um, And it's, it's something that I've always kind of been against that idea um, just because we have so many different avenues of skating to different types of skating and people find value in all different forms. And who am I to say which one is better or, or worse if, if you're having fun, you know, it's, I've always considered myself a park skater. Um, now that doesn't mean that I didn't skate street. I absolutely skate the street, 
but it was more of a secondary thing of like when I had to. Um, you didn't you didn't prefer or, one? I prefer park all day. Always? All day, I'll skate quarter pipes all day. That's what I would love to skate. Now or like always though? Because you always. the shit that you did on street back in the day, you didn't look it looked like you that's what you wanted to do. <laughs> like full cab yeah. both ways on down rails, like no. No, man. What? Give me a quarter pipe. That is what I want to skate. Now, mind you, I want to grind that quarter pipe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like to grind. I like technical grinds. I like all of that kind of stuff. But street skating to me was always a, uh, a – I, I don't want to say hassle because that's a little harsh. It was always problematic. As I'm sure all of you know, getting rollerbladers to go to a spot and figure it out is like hurting cats. And – Mm -hmm. choose the spot, making sure everyone's happy with the spot, making sure people show up at a certain time to skate that said spot. Uh, getting those sessions together were always a nightmare. Mm -hmm. So it always left a bad taste in my mouth of like, I can go to the skate park anytime I want, skate perfectly designed things for what I want to do, and I can elevate the level of trick that I'm doing on it because the things are built borderline perfect. Yes. So this brings us to a big point here now. And I always think about this too, because the funny world of skating that we are all involved in now, we started when we were like really young and now everyone's an adult now, pretty much. We're all in our thirties or forties now. And back in the day, it was always like, oh, it'd be cool to have like a mini ramp in your house or like a skate, your own skate park, something like that. And you made it a reality. A lot of people have made it realities. A lot of people have mini ramps or some sort of skate park type of thing at their house. You took it to another level completely with the compound. You have pretty much a big ass crazy mini ramp, and then you now you have like a street course side to it too. Was it like always the dream of yours to have that? Like, how did that so start? I, I I tried to live the dream that I think everyone wants, and having accessibility to something to skate all the time. Um. Honestly, when I started building the compound, it was one piece at a time. Like I started with like the mini ramp, you know, section. It was like 24 feet wide. I was like, I just want something to skate. And I love mini ramp. So that was where I kind of started. Um, and given the, the stuff that I built in the past, I, I just kept adding to it. It's always like, I want to add this one thing. Oh, what do I feel like skating? Let's build this little ledge. I want to skate. You know, I want to build this other thing that, that I really enjoy skating. I built a lot of sections of it based on parks I'd skated in the past that I really enjoyed. Like the mini ramp is kind of built after uh, the Morton mini that was at Woodward. It's about the same dimensions, the same kind of. I forgot setup. about that. I forgot about that. That was the best mini ramp ever. It was so good. Um, so the mini ramp is very similar to that. Um, those down boxes are based off of the ones that were at Spicy. The two yes. are about those boxes are basically that. Um, the smaller, the, the like medium street section is basically cloud nine short down boxes. Ooh. If you remember those, mm -hmm. um, so a lot of things that I've, I've had the pleasure to skate. I just wanted to build it in my backyard so I can, you know, look out my dining room window and look at it and skate and not have to try so hard. You know, now that I think about it, it really comes down to having to plan sessions because, if it's in your backyard, you'll go skate kind of on a whim. I don't have to plan anything. I don't have to call anybody. I can go just skate when I feel like it. So you're living the dream, man. I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs>
it, it, it's it's really cool that like you took like bits from everything because uh specifically the spicy one um that was like a destination those like you know like there weren't many good shotgun things like that back in the day and everyone was trying to like learn the technical tricks and i feel like back in the that day we were always on like the search for the holy grail like you know what i mean we were like trying to find the best rail or something that could like where you could learn these tricks on so uh to put all that together and like make like a little bits from here a little bits from there and make this amazing thing is yeah. uh it's really incredible so i have a i have a couple of questions one uh, i'm curious about how your how your wife feels about having such like a massive skate park in the backyard uh, and two like little technical aspects to building that like i remember just even when i saw you building like the curve part that yeah. took a while like there's so much to it. It's not just carpentry. There's, there's welding. There's like yeah. some other like little bits. So um, yeah, if you could enlighten us. So uh, I would say in this equation, the, the, the real champion is my wife. She is very understanding um, and, and lets me do what I want to do um, without too much complaining. Um, when we bought this house, we kind of went into it with the idea that I was going to build a ramp in the backyard. I do think that I threw a lot of skate jargon at my wife really quick and she didn't necessarily understand what it all meant. So she didn't understand the full scope of it, but she's been kind of a really good about it moving forward. So we have a rule right now that I, I get the backyard and she gets the front yard. So I'm not allowed to build anything past halfway through the side yard. Um, and I've followed that rule so far. <laughs> so far. So far. <laughs> Doesn't sound too confident. <laughs> uh, I've tried I've tried to talk her into having a pump track in the front yard, but she shot that down real quick. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I'm happy with what we have back in the backyard, though. So um, yeah. I just kind of keep that keep building things a little bit at a time um to the construction part of it um i've been building this nonsense since i was young so a lot of it is um the individual parts are pretty simple but then you start to add things together and it becomes more complex and i've always been the type of guy that just wants to kind of figure out how to do it um building the bowl corner was one of the most challenging ones um just because it of seems all like it yeah, all the angles that have to you have to do to make it work for what you want because you don't want to build a bowl corner and then it be I'm sure you guys have experienced like a badly built bowl corner like you bounce through it and it feels like you're kind of like it's just not smooth. It so gets, I, yeah. I was really concerned about that when I was building it, but um, again, there's lots of things online to kind of figure that out. And I've also, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of ramp builders that like from living at Woodward, um, being able to reach out to like Nate Wessel and, and other people just to say, Hey, is this is the right way to be doing this? Cause I need to make sure it's the right, you know, cause I don't want to rebuild it, you know? Mm -hmm. there yeah. That's, that, that, that's the one thing I've always, uh, sorry, Austin. Okay. Um, that's that that's one thing I've always like interested like when I was watching like the building process going on at the compound. Um just what one it's just like impressive like the 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 magnitude of what you've been able to do, but also like the technical aspects because I think to some degree like all of us, well not maybe not, um, but I think it, most of us can like figure out how to build a box or yeah. a quarter pipe or even could find some of this information on YouTube. But 
just even like having the like building a coping rail that curves like 90 degrees and is smooth all the way through and then finding a bowl corner to to suit that and then everything else to me it's like that's when it starts being like this is like really impressive like you know how do you how do you do that i mean honestly it's it's all little steps you know and and frankly it's with a lot of that stuff with like the coping bending and all that you can pay people to to hydraulic press bend it you know you have two options you can either bend it so it's a smooth radius or you could cut it and do welds through the corner to make the 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 bend um at that point i was like you know i want a smooth corner if i'm gonna build it let's build it right so i paid um we had there's a company here in uh, baltimore that does um bending i-beams and and uh pipe and coping that kind of stuff um so i was lucky to be able to get that done um and then I just built the corners to suit that radius. Um, a lot of it is using math that I swore I wasn't going to use in high school uh, to figure <laughs> out those radiuses and stuff. Um, but to be fair, I probably won't build another bowl corner again just because of how much work it is and stress. It, w- it was crazy um, in the process of that when it was like nothing there and it's just the rail around the corner. Oh, that was literally the scariest thing I've ever, ever built. Uh, that gator that might pit, be a first. That was, I had never seen it before at a skate park. I had never um, had the opportunity to skate something like that before. So when I put the coping up there and welded it, I was like, okay, I'm going to put this here temporarily and get to skate it. And I was talking to Cameron Card. He's like, if you build that, I will come down and skate it with you. Mm-hmm. So I built it. Let him know, and he came down, and we skated it. Uh, I think a total of ten people have done it. That's a lot. And it, then it disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> but it was ridiculous because it was it wasn't a tiny like pit like what we had to dig out underneath of it. It was six feet high at my neck. Um, the drop, and then in the hole was like concrete blocks for footings, and like it it was the scariest thing I think I've ever skated. It didn't look fun at all in any way. But props no. to people. Props to those ten people who got it done. Yeah, it, it was not fun. I I I was scared of it. Even being skating for as long as I have, I don't get intimidated at a lot of stuff. But that thing, it's death. Yeah, it was like a scary version of like the vert ramps back in the day. How they had like the channel in the middle, yep. like the roll in, and then the coping went across. That yeah. always like terrified the hell out of yeah. me too. So Your thing is crazier, I think, because it's and curves. It curves. Yeah. And it curves, and there was no deck, and you know, it was bad decisions. But <laughs> everyone survived, though. <laughs> but it was great to to be able to say I've skated it. I did one trick on it. That's all I needed. Check <laughs> that box. What was the original intention when uh, you were creating this to be able to like one day possibly like host events and and do things like that there, or was it more just like of a selfish thing initially and being like, oh, I'm just going to do it for myself and my friends. And then it kind of like naturally organically got to that point. I would say it's always kind of been about the community. A lot of the stuff that I've done uh, as I get older has been about how can we give back to rollerblading? How can we um, make a mark that helps us grow? Um, and building a ramp for the community around here, Maryland doesn't necessarily have a lot of good mini ramps um, to state. So being able to build something that both selfishly is for me as well as uh, a place for other people to kind of come and skate and have fun and, you know, 
make those connections was really the priority. Um, event wise, I think that once it got to a certain level, you kind of, there's an obligation to let share it with people um, and try to figure out ways to be able to do that. Um, one of the unique things about the compound is, is that it's, it's my house. So it's not like some of these other backyard ramps, there's a, there's a little bit of separation. Like if you go to ramping camp, it's a little separated from um, the owner's house. So it's not like right there next door to him. So mine is like literally right outside my dining room window. It's literally right over there. Um, so like, I, you know, I have four kids. So, you know, the home is like kind of a sacred place where you're inviting people into your home. You kind of want to know them. And when you're doing events, it's hard to know everybody. Um, But I've been blessed that we've had a really good experience with people coming to the house and kind of respecting the family nature of the place, Um, which I was really scared about in the beginning because you know, being in the industry so long, rollerbladers have a tendency to not always be that way. Uh, sometimes they get wild. Um, but as we've gotten older, uh, I've had a really good experience with everyone that's come through. Um, they've they've respected what we have here. So um, it's been great. That's uh, that's really cool to hear because my um... – my, my initial thought was one, again, how, how your wife is a champion allowing you to host an event in like Absolutely. right in the back. And uh, I knew you had kids, but I didn't know you had four. So that's a bit of a challenge too. And like you said, a sacred space with the home. Um, I, I was going to ask how, how, you, how you managed that with, uh, with uh, like how many people did you have come, come by for the event? So this last one, I believe it was between like 50 and 60 people. I, wow, I people. want to yeah, it was a pretty good turnout for, for years. Like I've been building this thing. I think we're on like seven years now. So we've had like cookouts previously where it was like 20 to 30 people. And like, then it moves up to like 40 to 50. And this was the biggest event that we've had. Um, it was like 50 to 60. So um, again, everyone has been really um, kind of respectful. So uh, we haven't had any really drawbacks of it. Other than, you know, when you host an event, you're kind of on the clock the whole time. So it's harder for you to enjoy the ramp and skate with everyone. It's more of putting out fires, if you know what I mean. Um, But uh, all in all, we've had a really good experience with it. Uh, Afterwards, I rested for multiple days. um, And (laughs) I'm very uh, thankful that, you know, um, Angie Bender... um, put on the event this last year. It was a Grindsgiving event for her. So she did a lot of the logistics and behind the scenes um, managing of it. And I was mainly the location. So I got to put my feet up a little bit uh, during that process. So That's cool. Um, I'm, I'm tempted to ask about if you rented porta potties or not, because having <laughs> 50 or 60 people Absolutely. be in and out of the houses. Yeah, OK. Absolutely. <laughs> That was the one thing my wife was like, yeah, you're getting porta potties. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely. So we, we definitely had porta potties. And um, this this last event, we actually had like a trade show kind of thing in the front yard where we oh, had wow. um, and it was it was a full on event. So that's sick. Um, yeah, it was good. Previous events that we've had, 
you know, it's the curse of being an outside ramp. If you plan an event, it's going to rain. So we've had to battle rain in the past. Um, but this time it rained the day before and then was perfect during the day. And then um, I think it rained the next day too. So we lucked out. That's really cool. Um, well, kudos to everything uh, with what you're doing with uh, the compound because it like looks incredible. And like the fact that you can share it with the community is uh, is really special. So it's cool to see you doing something still actively from like 1999 from contributing to like skating to now to 2023. Yeah. Which Thank leads you. which leads me to uh, asking about one of your biggest projects. Um, so Faction, I just saw you down at Winter Clash. You got a lot of news coming out with the company. I guess we'll start at um, where did the idea come to start a skate company? Was it from like a technically like a design aspect? Like I, I think I can design a skate that's that's better or I want to the team aspects. Like what, what were the motivational factors for starting this? I, I think for me, it's always been um, being in the industry for 30 plus years. Uh, you get to a point where you want to figure out a way to give back and be able to add something to the industry that, that has treated you so well um, in the past. And my personality is like, if I'm going to do something, I want to kind of go all in and, and do something big. Um, I didn't want to do just like a clothing company or something or a wheel company that's um, – easier to kind of start up i wanted to go all in and figure out a skate that i liked you know that i really enjoyed to skate um so it really kind of started with me personally to say i wasn't finding what i wanted on the market to to make a skate that catered to what i was looking for yeah what was it that you were looking for then out of i state? i what i wanted was a carbon boot with an articulating cuff that had room for my my big foot. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best answer right there. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so just starting out, it was having a more roomy toe box and a roomy or heel that traditional uh, carbon fiber boots didn't have. Um, I wanted to be able to make something different. Um, and I also wanted to kind of take the company – um, have a different perspective than what I've seen in the industry over the years. Um, over the years, the companies usually were the brand and the style. Uh, they determined what the style was. And then everybody on the team and that participated kind of fell in line with that style uh, to be part of the, the crew. I wanted to kind of flip that script and have the company be the platform for for the skaters to show their perspective. So one of the things that I was really happy about with the team that I picked out the gate was that they each have their own perspective on rollerblading. And I wanted to be the person company that was helping them facilitate their vision of rollerblading. Um, and so far it's been going great. Um, it's been well received so far in the industry. So my fingers have always been kind of crossed hoping for that. Yeah, I think uh, I think w when I saw that you had a, a few months, I think it was a few months back, maybe a year or so. But um, when you when you picked up China, that that was a huge pickup because 
I think along with everyone in the skating community, everyone's been like recognizing how fantastic of a skater she is for so long. And Absolutely. everyone's been just like, she needs to be at, at this level. So, um, yeah, th I think that was like a really good ad. And I see like, a, I feel like a lot of the people that you add, like they're their own people yeah. and that, that, yeah. Absolutely. Again, I, I, I didn't want to dictate what their skating looked like because they were with my company. You know, I, I wanted the skates to be kind of a neutral platform for them to explore their rollerblading and the direction they want to go while representing the brand. Um, so with people like, you know, Eric Michael, he's unique in what he does. A lot more acrobatic, a lot more um, high-flying kind of stuff. And then you have Jimmy Smith, you know, he's he just kind of blows your mind every time he does something crazy whether it's negatives or a trick you didn't think that could be done or what have you and then you have like cameron card you know he's been killing it forever regular switch anything you want he's doing it and he branches out into urban skating and big wheel stuff kind of um great perspective and then of course shredpool he's just awesome um killing it always in it for fun you know life of the session saving the world yeah, yeah. I, 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 saw on, I, I saw on the website he's uh, Shredpool's actually one hundred and fifty percent. Yeah, he's absolutely. Yeah, he's fifty percent man, fifty percent mask, fifty percent yep. myth. I think that's yep. correct. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> but he he just had um, so there was a the new skate release just recently with the Shredpool skate. So can you grow on that a little bit? Uh, so uh, when we first came out with the V one. Um, it was one of those things that, you know, we, we liked the form factor that we, we had. Uh, I've always uh, believed from, from a company standpoint that you always have base level skates. You have the black and maybe a white uh, generic boot only skate. And then we go into pro models for each of our riders um, that would be completes. So all of our pro models always will be completes where we partner with their other sponsors to kind of um, grow the industry and kind of one boot at a time. Um, to make sure we're uh, lifting everyone up as we uh, move forward with products. So uh, Shredskate, it, it's mainly a, a colorway play um, catered to him because he really enjoyed the soul plates that came out on the V1s, and um, we wanted to make something that was a little more catered to how he rides. Um, for the longest time in the industry, people would give pro boots to people and then not incorporate their other sponsors or their other products to kind of make it worthwhile for them across the board. Um, I totally understand from a manufacturing standpoint of why that happens. Um, but from a principled standpoint, I, I, it was really important for us to kind of have those partnerships to um, make it both financially beneficial for everyone involved. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's, that's, um, it's super cool to see companies like take the take the role of putting like the skater as as the priority because you know the skaters are doing so much to like put the the companies yep. out there and like they're they're taking like a lot of the risk skating you know you can get her doing it so it's cool to like see you accommodate on that aspect. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think also being involved in the industry, you've kind of seen companies both do it in good ways and do it in in not so good ways and treat riders in ways that. Uh, frankly, they just shouldn't be treated as um, 
they're they're an integral part in in the future of our company, and the team is super important for getting our message or our vision out there in the industry. And to not showcase them is kind of um, the worst option. Um, and I, I hate to say, you know, I try to make Faction be a family, but it really is the only description that kind of fits. Um, really caring about the team as a whole and making sure they're taken care of um, is super important for us moving forward. Uh, I, I, sorry, I was thinking ahead. No, I was going to say that about the shred pull skate as well. Did I hear that they were going to be in kid sizes too? Uh, so right now they go from size four um, to four. 12 and a half. Yeah. So, I have so the other I skates aren't one. available in four, only the shred pull for four. Uh, yes, but all skates moving forward will be oh, okay. uh, four, 12 and a half. Okay. We just to implement it on this model. Yeah, I didn't know if that was a, a reason for that it being like a shred pull skate, maybe like the kids, you figure the kids be more interested in that. No, it's, uh, I'm sure you guys kind of understand when you're doing production of skates, it really comes down to the cost from a company point. And the amount of smaller skates that you sell is usually less than the eight, like eight to 10 range is where you sell most of your skates. So when you're investing in molds and, and, um, capital investments in skates and stuff like that, you have to pick and choose because we're not, you know, we don't have unlimited funds. So it has always been our goal to be able to provide uh, smaller size skates um, and serve the underserved in our, in our industry. Um, but we weren't able to do that until the, you know, uh, the second skate. Mm -hmm. that sense. What? It's really cool to see you be able to grow in that way because I know like uh, for kids, there's not many options and like the smaller feet. So to provide yeah. more options in that area is like just the more options, the better, especially for like, you know, we always talk about getting kids involved and how the, the importance of like getting kids involved in the community, but um, just there's not many options. So to see that more options, the better. Absolutely. It's, it's really an investment in our future and our perspective for building a skate in general has always been building an ecosystem of uh, parts and pieces that people can combine in a way that makes a skate that they want to skate. So all of our sole plates are used, are able to be used across all of our skates. All of the cuffs will be cross um, useful as well. So um, investing in molds for those smaller sole plates is really beneficial for that ecosystem kind of approach. Mm -hmm. That reminds me about like a question about just funding in general because faction is just you. Am I correct by saying that? Yep, it is just me. It how the hell are you funding all this? And then like you're talking about like investing in like different molds and stuff like that. Like this shit is expensive. <laughs> like it's crazy. It, you're doing it, all this on your own. We're you know I've been lucky enough that uh, I've had jobs that were able to fund a lot of things that I was doing. Um, so to be able to kind of go all in at this point, um, I've been able to save previously and be able to fund it um, myself. But it's also you have to um, do it in a systematic way that makes it, you know, one pre-order pays for the next pre-order and then the next invoice, you know, mm -hmm. you, you kind of build up organically. Um, not going to say that it's been cheap, but um, that's one of the reasons that we started with a carbon fiber boot, um, the cost of entry to be able to build a carbon boot is way cheaper than an injection molded boot. 
um, the last that you build a carbon fiber boot off of are like 50 to 100 bucks a piece instead of 40 grand to do aluminum molds for injection molded. So uh, it's all been strategically planned to be able to be successful. Yeah, I didn't realize that price difference in a carbon skate. I thought, my bad, Billy. I just thought that carbon skates would be like the top notch, like super expensive shit to make. No, it's it's the technique. So pretty much all carbon skates are hand hand laid carbon fiber over a standard kind of shoe last. So just the technique of making the carbon fiber is cheaper to uh, make the lasts than it is to make an injection molded. The injection molded pieces are cheaper per piece to make, but the upfront investment is much larger. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, that's, yeah, that's really, that's really cool to hear, like uh, coming up from like uh, in that way, because it is really difficult to start. Like when you're getting involved in uh, the rollerblading yep. business aspect of the world, either you're uh, crazy or passionate or have a really good plan. So it seems like you have like a bit of the latter part, very yeah. passionate and have a very good plan. Um, and a, a little bit, crazy. we're gonna, I can, I can see that too. I've seen, I've seen some <laughs> of the skating, man. I, I know, I know what, what's, what's in there, but um, so in a little bit, we're gonna open it up for questions, but before we do a few more questions, uh, if that's okay. Um, so what is, what do you think is the, is the, uh, 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 a short-term and a, and a long-term goal for, for faction moving forward? Um, so right now we're working on uh, developing skates, developing pro models for our team. Um, we're aggressively moving through the, the team's pro models uh, in the next year, year and a half to try to have models out there to, for, for everyone on the team. Um, there are a lot of deserving people on our team and we want to make sure that they're served adequately through this process. Um, we also want to keep developing the ecosystem um, that we have, building sole plates, having different options for sole plates, um, having a custom cuff that we want to develop. Um, we have cam skate coming out that we want to do, uh, which gets us into urban a little bit more. Um, we're really just kind of pushing forward, trying to be at all the events, build our community around our brand a little bit more, uh, move into more media stuff for our, for our company, doing a team video, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so we got a lot on the books right now, things we got to allocate and logistically figure out. Busy um, man. I, I was about to say, I, I've already asked, uh, I've already asked the, uh, the live chat audience, if they can start, because we're going to open it up for questions soon to ask some questions. But uh, one of the questions that I see and something that you've already alluded to is the team video. So are, are there plans for a team video? And if so, when can we expect that? Absolutely. Uh, I think that as we, we kind of grow as a company, um, it's super important to have the right people on board to do the right jobs. Um, as I'm sure you you are familiar, like making sure you have people that can do video production and do it at the level that you want to, and and plan those trips that are able to get the footage. It's it's been a secondary priority for us right now. We've been trying to get kind of um, really good products out first, and then transition into more of that media engine. Um, so right now we're working to. Um, 
kind of stack some footage and get the right people involved to move that forward. Um, it's a definite priority for me. My goal for the company would be to do a team video every two years, like a full on, like 45 minute team video back, just like back in the day. Um, but logistically just trying to get every, all the pieces in play are where I'm kind of focused right now. Mm -hmm. Team video would be nice. Yeah. I really want to give an opportunity for our team to kind of showcase what they do and, and be kind of the engines of, of showing that perspective. Like, I don't want to push them to say, hey, we're going to this spot, do whatever you do. It's more of what do you want to film? What do you want to show? How do you want to showcase it? Let me support that, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I, I always I think pick... that's a... Go ahead, Billy. No, no I was going to say, I, I think that's the smartest way to do it. Like, you know, like have the, have the team have a say in how they're being presented uh, within the company. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Austin, I, I, don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but, but, I, but I have a bit of uh, a last question on my end. I got mine in my head that. still, so. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, my, so mine is, um, okay, uh, four kids, wife, big backyard, uh, big skate park, skate company, r regular job. Do you sleep? I don't sleep. <laughs> and I don't have a regular job. This is my this is my thing. Okay. So uh, in right before uh, right when Corona hit, um, I decided that, you know, if I was going to do this, I needed to kind of dedicate my time to be able to do it. Um, making a skate and working with factories isn't something you can do as a kind of side hobby. Absolutely. It, it's way like the logistics of trying to figure out shipping, trying to figure out distribution, all of that kind of stuff is really taxing on your time and trying to figure it out um, because I didn't necessarily have guidance of like people that had done it before that could kind of show you the way it was more of, all right, let's, let's see how we can do this. So um, I kind of dove in all in on, on the skates and, and moving this forward. So uh, it does make it a little easier that I don't have a nine to five that I'm going to other than this. Um, but that being said, I don't sleep that well. <laughs> <laughs> your mind's probably, I feel like as a company owner or as a creative of some sort, your mind's kind of always going. I'm sure like yeah. you too, Billy, same thing. Like you go, to, <clears throat> you go to bed and you'd be like, oh, an idea will pop in. Like something you want to do, like a, a new product or a new thing you want to take the direction you want to take the company and then you can't sleep you stay up for hours and you're like jotting notes down or something you know it's kind of yeah, it's the worst, it's <laughs> it's the the worst. worst. <laughs> <laughs> it could be good or it could be bad I, either or i've always struggled with the idea of being able to kind of turn it off and and not be um always trying to move things forward and like i, I always find this at like um these big events you, you kind of have to be on all the time, always being personal, always reaching out to people, always making those connections that'll make, uh, that'll benefit your company moving forward. Um, it's always a challenge to have time to kind of turn that off and be able to just be present, you know, and enjoy situations more without having to think about, you know, the company and the growth and, you know, are we growing fast enough? Are we selling enough skates? Are we moving in the direction we need to, um, but, you know, it's, it's the balance that you have to find. Mm -hmm. And that kind of brings me on to what I wanted to talk about also, because 
I consider a lot of brands now to be like, I guess you could say like kind of like quote boutique skate brands, like Faction, I would consider that, Mesmer even. But then there's like the big people like Razors, USD, Rollerblade, like the big dogs. And there's a lot of boutique companies coming up now. Like what, do you see like benefits in keeping it that way compared to these other bigger brands? Is that like your goal to stay that way? Uh, I would say I don't, th I think my goal for the company as a whole is to be a big player down the road. Um, it takes time to kind of build your brand, to be able to um, be producing that many skates per year and, you know, have a large um, presence in the industry. I think we, we start out as a boutique by necessity. Um, you have to build that community from, you know, where you just have your crew that's excited about your project to expand it into the bigger world and get more people involved. More people are about your brand. Um, but the end goal, I would love to be, uh, in, in 10, 10 years, 20 years, be rollerblade size or like power slide size. Um, but it's all about those incremental steps to get there that you're growing organically and not rushing it. Um, but I'm trying to enjoy where we're at and, and make it a fun ride. Mm -hmm. There's something I think totally. about a lot with these, with these brands, because, um, like we're all doing this, we're all doing something in skating and we've been small for so long and we love what we do. And sure. That's great that we could do this forever, but like eventually does it get to the point where we're like, like this has to be taken to the next level. Like when's this going to happen, you know, or, or how long can we do that for be a boutique company and sustain ourselves that way? Yeah. I mean, for us, I mean, it really comes down to quantity of skates. Like when you first start out, we started out with, you know, 200 piece orders is what our, our V1 was. Um, and then you sell through those and then you, you restock and, and you keep trying to increase those numbers because from, from my perspective, getting to around 2000 skates a year is where it starts to become easier from a financial standpoint of having money to play with, to do bigger tours, bigger, just, um, execution across the board. You get, let you be able to develop things easier, be able to have employees, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, I would love to be able to have some employees, just, just one or two. So it's not just me. Um, cause now I'm doing all the logistics, all the shippings. Like if you order a pair of skates, you're going to probably hear from me. Um, any customer service stuff, it's me, you know, so. I've told uh, you your customer service is great. <laughs> you heard me say that to you before. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I try to be there for everything that needs to happen um, because we just don't have the money at the moment to be having a customer service team or, or what have you, or even to bring on more design resources. Right now I'm working with Mike Rios and um, Justin Thursday for all of our design, whether it's it's myself doing some hard good design or Justin doing it or Mike Rios doing the soft good layup, like the team is really small. Um, so being able to expand and and have enough income to be able to support like a sales team would be great, but we're just not there yet. So it's really trying to grow it organically and, and get to that, that 2000 skates a year um, point to be able to have the extra kind of cash flow to be able to to afford that mm -hmm. 
I can I, I can actually completely relate with you on there. Like just like if just just one employee would be good, whether it be dealing with the customer service emails or shipping and handling all these kind of just something. But um, that I, I think uh, the, what it sounds like the way you're going about it sounds perfect. Like let it grow organically, take on as much as you can, get get keep on raising it, and get to that point where selling more skates a year and hopefully being able to just continue to grow. And I, I wish you the best on that because you're a super hardworking guy. I've been around forever and uh, it's cool to see everything that you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, th- I think now um, we have some questions lined up and if, if you're open to it, would you be open to taking some questions? I think, do we have some on Patreon as well, Austin? We got a bunch. We only doing three on Patreon, but we got a bunch of Patreon questions here as well too. So we can get into all of this right okay, now. We'll take, we'll take as many as we can get. As you guys know, who are watching live, um, we split our super chats halfway with our guests. Uh, if you feel inclined to have a question, get, Put to the front you can super chat and you will be supporting a great guy doing great work as well so uh without any further ado can we get into some of these uh patreon questions austin yeah we go um thank you to aldelega by the way when he gets into it he gets into it he has like a million questions here we're only going to choose one of his though um his question is the shreple skate looks like to be a quote true pro skate with real wheels not crappy stock wheels the frames the skates the, the frames, the skater actually rides, etc. Is this how pro models will always be from the brand? Would you be ever interested in doing a mid-price complete skate with stock wheels, perhaps a non-pro model? Uh, yes. Uh, all of our pro models will always be partnerships with uh, the pro riders brands. Um, as long as the other companies are down for that partnership, we'll move forward with that. Um out of all of our pro riders, we've I've reached out to companies that they ride for, and everybody seems to be down to support that kind of initiative. Um, that being said, I in the future we do have plans to do different price point skates. Um, we do want to do a, an injected molded skate uh, in the future, um, and that would be the sub two hundred uh, entry point skate. So. Um, we're just at the point where we're trying to build capital to be able to afford molds and, and move down that path. But, um, it will be probably sooner than most people would think. Um, I don't want to say that it's in stone yet, but, um, we are moving in that direction. Big plans, big plans in the horizon. Absolutely. Uh, we have a question from tree shout out tree. He says, could you describe your ideal skate pant setup, including material fit, Belt, accessories, pocket contents, and any possible modifications. Pocket, pocket contents. contents. <laughs> uh, I would say I've gone through phases. So when I used to live at Woodward, I went through a multi-year sweatpant phase, uh, which I, I was yeah. very happy that it aligned with the industry of it was the cool thing to do. Uh, but... It was mainly because I would wake up, I was sleeping in the sweatpants, I would walk up the hill, <laughs> and, then skate, and then I'd go back to chilling uh, with sweatpants on. I enjoyed that era. Uh, now I'm more of a, a jeans, uh, not a tight cut. I got too much meat for it to be a tight cut. My legs are just big. Uh, so it's like a loose fit denim is is where I'm at. I really have been enjoying um, the bulletproof uh, denim. 
I've been writing those for a while. But, you know, sometimes you got to dress up, wear khakis and what have you, but most of the times it's denim. You missed the important question there. Oh, I was about to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a bottle of aspirin is usually in my pocket. Uh, and I have my, my keys and my wallet are usually what, what I ride with. You skate with the keys in your pocket? Yeah, I'm old. You wild. They're just in there. Even Billy, <laughs> even Billy got the little the loophole thing, so at least it doesn't like shank you when you're skating. I can't, I can't have them making noise. That's like, <laughs> yeah. Like, that's like industry killer right there. I can't have that kind of nonsense on social media. It's true. It's true. It's true. That was great. I've seen on Instagram that the, the carabiner is part of actually the Mesmer starter pack. So, <laughs> oh, is it? I haven't seen I Mesmer saw starter it. Somebody pack made that. I don't know. Who. That's a marketing. Just lean into it. Just, yes. Yeah, no, I just lean into it. <laughs> that was like Tom Moise's keys are these segment on his oh on his God. show. And it was just a yeah. tight shot of the keys and see whose keys they are. Um, that was an so awesome funny. question, Tree. Thank you for sharing that. We got one more Patreon question, and then we'll move on to our uh, Super Chats. Uh, Tim Hawk says, I love my factions. In my opinion, the cuff has a little bit too much forward flex. Are there any plans for a new cuff design? Also, when will there be a China Pro Skate? Okay, that's that's a deep question. Uh, one, yes, we're working um, to do a custom cuff at the moment. So our goal is when once we do a custom cuff, that'll be the cuff that comes on all of our skates. One of the issues that we want to address is that forward lean. I personally like a lot of forward flex. It's it's something that I enjoyed in my skates through my history. But I do understand not everyone likes that much forward flex. Um, we've we're i'm actually getting some 3d printed versions of cuffs uh they're supposed to be here tomorrow but um mm. yeah so i'm really kind of waiting until we kind of get it right and then we'll we'll roll it out for the for our skates moving forward um the, the cuff we're currently using is kind of the stock factory cuff that we were able to select um again it's it's one of those things when you're developing skates it's you have to choose where you throw your money and what molds you're doing at what time and that was one of the ones that we got samples and it was it was at a high enough level where we liked the fit of it and it fit what I wanted. So we moved forward with it. But there's definitely things we're looking to improve um, when it comes to the cuff as a whole. Uh, and and like I said earlier, uh, we're working to go through all of our team riders um, pro models. Uh, one of the things that not backlash that we get is that that China hasn't gotten a pro model yet. Um, it's really important to me to get to her the, the pro model that she deserves. Um, but it's also really important to me that we kind of go first come first serve for the team. Um, so we're working through our pro team right now on when they joined the team. So we'll get, we'll get there. And like I said earlier, we're going aggressively through those, those pro models. So it should be a lot sooner than you think. Mm, I like that. That's, that's, that's a great answer. And, um, totally able to relate like re regards to the cuff like everything uh it's like uh mo improvements moving forward there's always gonna be improvements there's always gonna be adaptations as like just part of like the natural growth it seems right yep absolutely okay um, so patreon so yeah we have some super chats we also have some some really good questions that aren't super chat colin kelso has a really good question i'm wanting <clears> to ask but like we said we got to get to the super chats first so um 
Austin, I believe you have that on the computer in front of you. So Yeah, we, we got a few super chats right here. We appreciate everybody. We split our super chats with our guests, like we always say. Uh, first one from Greg Gazdewicz, who asks, when's the fly box getting finished at the compound? I'm going to respond to that one with saying he was not even going to skate it. So, <laughs> Damn, shots fired by our guests on the show. Yeah, no, uh, it is part of uh, one of the things we've kind of, the last thing that we're going to build is the launch box just because people don't skate it that much. And to be fair, it's probably going to be a gator pit for the first. What? Couple. Yeah. Yeah. I it wouldn't have guessed that. <laughs> it costs money. It costs money to build those parts. Um, <laughs> At least give us a mattress. At least give us That's a mattress. more lumber up. to build the deck. <laughs> more lumber. It'll, the, the deck will be the last part we build because it's going to be a step up, like a step up hip one that goes into the mini street section. So I already have the landing there. We just have to build the takeoff and then the deck. So I'll get there. I've been building small stuff so we can practice little stuff. Every time that I build something, you'll get locals that come through like, it's too big. It's too big. You made it too big. Make it smaller. So I made a, I made a, 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 a one foot ledge. It's like 16 foot long, one foot tall. You can just kind of chill and you don't really have to try too hard so because some of this other stuff like the spicy down boxes it's not like a tuesday kind of session like you gotta be ready to go and be serious about it uh i don't want to do that every day whenever you degator pit that launch box um i want to request a flat spin lesson from you when i get there i know you got those i know you got those had i had you know how to do it at least yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, we'll make it happen we'll make it happen uh next super chat question we have from sir benjamin sanders who asks what do you wish you knew before starting a skate company hashtag go faction (laughs) i i think um i think for me it's always like the logistics part and more the business side of it i wish i just had more exposure during you know i had a lot of exposure in the industry of like the skate side of it um but I, I rode for K2 for a while on the AM team, but I was never at, at a level where I was exposed to the logistics sales side of, of the business or the warehousing and, and shipping and all that kind of stuff. So it's been kind of a learning curve of like just figuring out what is most cost effective and what um, gets people the skates as soon as possible. Um, you know, our first, our, our V1s, we, I think we had three months from when we did pre-orders to delivery and it was just like fielding questions and, and making sure people were uh, feeling heard with their requests and all that kind of stuff and keeping them in the loop of what um, to expect and setting those expectations. So now uh, with the shreds, it's going to be much shorter than that just because we're, we're learning how to do this moving forward. Um, so a lot of that back end business side stuff is stuff I wish I knew more about Um you know, I was familiar with building websites, but also like building websites and maintaining it, you know, again, it, it's all me, like I'm the one doing all of that. So there's a lot of just trying to figure stuff out, um, which is always a challenge. Uh, you seem to be, uh, as we discussed earlier, you seem to be really good at figuring stuff out, though, systemically, uh, systematically. And yeah. like we discussed about the bold corner and things of that nature, yeah. but it's, it seems to be your forte. 
it's a lot of work and it, it's it's sketchy because you like you're just nervous because you want to make sure you're putting out a good product and and doing it right so that it's good for the business and it's good for the people getting your products and all of that. Um, it's it's the part of entrepreneurship that people don't really tell you about is that stress of like, okay, am I doing it right? Am I making the right decisions? You know, businesses fail relatively quickly um, in the real world. So just being able to like keep it going because it's something we're so passionate about that trying to make the right decisions and make it happen so you can continue to do what you love is always kind of stressful and it's always in the back of your head. Um, you know, yeah, it's yeah, a learning no, experience. um, fully. And it's definitely a challenge, as we said earlier to, um, to, to be working in blading. There's just so many challenges all the time. Um, different than like BMX or skateboarding, like you're specifically catering to someone's foot and what works for their foot. Mm -hmm. And everyone has a different preference. And there's like a sea of different people who have different things to work for different people. So it's always going to be hard to find a way to try to accommodate everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said, I would, not like making a skateboard. And I would say that um, I, I, I think the biggest thing I was afraid of in general about rollerblading is um, during like the wild, wild west days of like BMAG message board and sequence and like rollerbladers have been very judgmental just in general. Like it's been mm -hmm. the wild, wild west of like it's from the trauma and comments <laughs> and, and all of this stuff. And, you know, some of it's all justified. Some of it's, you know, just people doing their thing. But I was always I was waiting for that shoe to drop when we first launched of like just like ridiculously negative. Hate, 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 hate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I've been I've, we've been very lucky as a company that, you know, we haven't had a lot of it. Um, and all the constructive feedback that we've gotten, we've tried to, you know, kind of grow from that and, and implement changes as they're brought to our attention. So um, I still have my fingers crossed that, you know, one day it's just going to go, go to the, the hate cycle. And, you know, so I try to avoid that. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I found that although there are, although there are like a lot of very uh, judgmental people in blading, there's still there's I think even more people that are willing to support people's yeah. genuine efforts to try to create something and support other rollerbladers within the community. So um, I can relate. I can get whether it's Jump Street or whatever else Mesmer that we get frustrated with like some 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 what we could see as judgmental uh, attitudes. There's that much more people like uh, willing to say, "Hey, good job," and keep doing what you're doing, supporting Absolutely. the cause. So. Um, I think we're in that way, perhaps maturing a little bit from the BMAG yeah. era, which I yeah. hope uh, continues to go. Yeah, um, definitely matured a lot. So we have a few. We have a few questions here. I've I've picked out three because some, some super of these chat questions too, Billy. Oh, that, I'm sorry. There's one more super chat question, right? There's two more super chat questions. Two more. One, okay, one just came in, in too. Um, sorry. No, it's all good. Uh, Jad Rollervlog. This is a very specific question. Jad Rollervlog. Uh, says, what size should I get? 265 to 270 Mondo. Massive, I mean, massive big toe. <laughs> and 180 millimeter width. Uh, is that TMI. with the TMI. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> massive big toe. Um, uh, I would say go buy the chart on the website. That's your best bet. Uh, you get a liner size that fits your measurement, even that big toe. Like whatever that measurement is of your foot, go with that size because then you can heat mold it to fix any of the minor things. 
a lot of people, there's been a trend in the industry to try to size down, like size down, get as small as you can get, and then do a thin liner. With carbon skates, that doesn't necessarily work most times. It'll hurt your foot. It'll be less forgiving. So go by that measurement of the liner is, is, is your best bet. So you're not making a skate with a little sidecar for people with big, massive big toes. <laughs> not, currently. not currently on the, uh, on the docket. Okay. Uh, we have one last super chat question as of now from Meta who asks, uh, when are the Eric Michaels coming and Cameron's? Is there an all black version available? Maybe take my money. Uh, so we're always going to have the V ones where that are all black. They're basically all black with a, um, gray sole. Um, and we always have the replacement soles in, in black. Um, so you can make a blacked out version anytime you want. That's what I did. That being said, uh, I'm hoping to have Eric skate come through, uh, by the end of the year. But that being said, the goal for his skate was to do a injected molded boot. So that being said, there's a lot of process and logistics of like getting that developed that we have to go through. So I'm, I'm hoping to be within the next year and a half uh, from today, I'm hoping to be through everyone's pro models. So we're aggressively moving forward to pro models. So. We'll see how that rolls through. Nice. I like that you use aggressively. Yeah. yeah. Aggressive <laughs> skating, baby. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I see three questions here that I think are good questions. A lot of the other questions have been answered. Someone asked, will there ever be a hard boot? Do you have, uh, would you ever consider making an ingest, an injection molded plastic boot? Uh, Clark has just answered those questions a little bit earlier in the podcast. Um, so let, I'm going to start off with this question from Nathan Chase. Uh, I'd just like to know more about the design process. How did that start? Did you have an initial sketch? Did you outsource the drawing slash designing? Were there designs that got scrapped? It's a good question. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's yes to all of them. So we started off with basic sketches. I personally started off with features on the sole plate that I wanted uh, because Making a, a carbon-based skate with a leather outing is – there's a pretty standard process for that where you, you, know, you, you do hand sketches. Mike Rios and I kind of went back and forth about what we were looking for and what the goals were. But I had very specific things that I wanted to see on the sole plate from the placement of the groove to the squared-off heel. Um, those were things that I personally wanted. Um, given my time riding for K2, they had a very similar heel on them. I like that in a, a skate. Um, so working with Justin Thursday, going through my initial sketches on paper to give to him to then build out in CAD what we were thinking. Um, as a company, the next process after the hand sketches were to go down the process of 3D printing samples to be able to have something in our hands to be able to test and say, is this what we actually wanted? Test it on um, a flat boot to feel the groove and see if it's what uh, I envisioned it to be. Um, the leather goods uh, part of it um, was all sketches. And then once we had established a base uh, soft goods layup of the leather of how we wanted it to look, 
then we could co start playing with colors and color exploration. Um, when I was at winter class, uh, I showed some of the process for color um, exploration. Um, and I tend to do that in like Illustrator with fill colors and just kind of play with everything that I can think of um, to get a color combo that both works and is progressive, but not wild enough that only one person would buy. Um, finding that balance um, between color execution is really kind of the challenge to make it a, a marketable skate, but also different than it's been done before. So. Cool. Very interesting. That's a good answer. Mm -hmm. um, Greg Gizdowitz. Oof, I'm sorry about the name. Um, <laughs> what's the best trick that's gone down at the compound? Just curious. I'm curious too, because I, I know a lot of those uh, Jimmy Sizz tricks are like just ridiculous, but I'm yeah. curious to know uh, what your per perception or take on this one well, is. What's funny, there's another level to this question because uh, he's he's trying to lead stuff to the trick that he did. He, uh, he, <laughs> he, he sweated the rail uh, at, at my post, the, the big rail. Um, that was probably the best trick that's been done. Um, but I will say uh, it took him 88 tries. So Whoa. yeah, so he was dedicated and he was wearing white pants. So they were like completely gray <laughs> by the time he was done. Uh, but he has earned, I think that's the, the best trick that's been done is, is three sweaty, like hurricane sweaty on the, the rail. Um, not a lot of people skate the rail that often because it is bigger than you would think. Um, but only second place by, again, some of the stuff Jimmy's done. Some of the stuff that Jimmy did on the um, gator pit rail when it was up, he did from the deck, he dropped soy out of the bowl corner with the gator pit to rewind three in. Ugh. yeah it was yeah it was nasty but um there's a lot of stuff there's we've had a lot of people come through and and skate the ramp and so many cool things have happened um what's funny is that the overall vibe here is less about like hammers and all these gnarly tricks and it's more just about us hanging out and chilling and and enjoying ourselves and and honestly talking a lot of trash but in a fun way mm. <laughs> i enjoy That's it cool but that's cool. That's, that's that's the beautiful part of skating, you know, those those, those downtime moments. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I saved this question for last because um, every now and then we'll have the opportunity to have Colin Kelso be able to be in the live chat. And he always puts forth a very thoughtful question when he asks one. And this time is no different. Uh, it's a question I've, I'm curious about myself. Curious to know your uh, your answer here. He says, given Blading's aging population and the lack of new participant growth, what do you see as the greatest opportunity for us as far as avenues we can explore to address the ongoing growth issue? Um, so I think that the biggest thing that we need to do as an industry and as companies is focus, shift that focus from from the high level skating and all of that kind of stuff to building the individual communities. The more we focus on those smaller communities and build them by, by supporting experiences, whether that be with faction at the compound or what have you, it's building those um, experiences for the younger participants and welcoming them into the bigger circle that is rollerblading. 
Um, I think that the more we build that community and we welcome more people into it, they'll find the same things that we found at a young age to really become passionate and obsessive about rollerblading as a whole. Um, we no longer can be grassroots, you know, very niche. We have to welcome everyone from urban skating to slalom to big wheels to, to everything to kind of grow the sport as a whole and get younger people involved because eventually us old guys won't be around anymore. Um, and they need to be able to take the, take the torch and take it in their own direction and feel comfortable enough to voice their opinions and be part of the discussion. So it really comes down to community and experience. I love that answer. And I love the, uh, making the space for everyone who is on skates to be a part of an experience, the community, as we've seen this year, there's some success over the past few years, like, uh, roller skating people have been trying inline skating and what we do and vice versa. And it's just, it just seems to be very healthy and a good way to kind of cultivate a community moving forward. So I'd love that answer. I, I would say, I would also add that, you know, one of the things that I find um, not frustrating, but as rollerbladers, when people tend to get really good at rollerblading, it's because of their personality and nature to do things over and over again. A lot of times that doesn't translate to what makes you a good professional rollerblader, if that makes sense. People that like to focus on their tricks and their execution and things sometimes aren't as social as they need to be of welcoming people in and being approachable. So the more that we can be approachable to the young people that are involved in this sport to make sure they have a good experience with their favorite pros and, and what have you is super important. And it's not that I think that people do that on purpose. It's just the things that make you a good rollerblader don't always align with things that make you approachable, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, it makes perfect sense. If, if, I've, actually always, I've actually always found that experience uh, with some of like the best rollerbladers. They uh, have such a zero in their personality so hard on like being good. It's not just rollerblading, but being good at this one particular thing that other aspects of their personality could suffer, like the social uh, intelligence, perhaps. Like maybe yeah. they didn't spend as much time cultivating that uh, aspect because you spend so much time kind of focusing on that. It's it's uh, it's definitely something I've noticed, and and I, I understand what you're meaning there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean because that. Real, realistically, as a professional skater, your your job is to to connect with the people. Like, yes, you rollerblade well, but from a business standpoint, it's representing brands and trying to grow the industry and, and be part of that communication with, with customers. Um, and I think a lot of times that, that is forgotten or people just miss that connection. I think it's companies kind of have to make that a priority for riders to be doing that. Absolutely. Being a good skater is just one part of the equation. I completely agree with you. Yeah. That was like skaters back in the day too. I remember like personalities were a huge thing. I think we talked about this in the show before too. Like, uh, Brian Smith, huge personality, Arlo Eisberg, big personality, like very approachable people, um, build characters and, and kind of like people attached to that as far as, as new skaters go. Absolutely. Mm Mm-hmm. Shred pulls a good one. <laughs> he does his thing. <laughs> yep, exactly. 
Um, we got one more super chat in just before the buzzer. So we're going to take this and any super chats that come after this, we are not going to take. So um, send if you want, but this is the last one we're taking. Um, it's Meta once again, shout out Meta. What is Faction's approach to mental health in our community? I think that um, mental health for, for us as a company is something that really has to be focused on because I feel like um, a lot of time rollerbladers are at the events having a great time, but then they go back to their home and their home experience. Whether that home experience is, is good or they have support, it's not always, um, it's kind of a um, catch-all. Like, not everyone has the same circumstances that everyone else has. So being able to talk about it is super huge for us. I, I have an open-door policy with all of my team to anything they may need. I'm, I'm here to support. Um, my goal for the company, um, when we, as we sell more and more skates, it's going to be really important that we get to the point where the company can offer you know, health insurance, mental health and support um, for our riders. Um, it's something that has been lacking in the industry as a whole because uh, pro riders have always been treated kind of as contractors and not um, necessarily supported in all avenues of their life. Um, I want to make sure we do that differently. Um, we currently don't have anything in stone uh, from a company standpoint, but as we grow, um, I'm going to be looking to offer a lot of benefits for our, our riders to support them in anything they may need. That's awesome. I love that. I love that answer. It's very thoughtful and it's, uh, it's uh, a lot of people who are involved in rollerblading, you know, sometimes they might be, you know, not having trouble at home, having trouble at school, having trouble uh, mentally. And uh, it's cool to kind of answer that question and think about that problem forthrightly. Um, so huge respect to that answer. And, and, and awesome that you're thoughtful and conscious in this particular aspect of, of what could, you know, be a part of, uh, you know, some of the issues in the role betting community. So mm -hmm. very cool. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for giving us over two hours of your time and going through everything with you today. It's been a long time coming uh, to have this chat and hoping we can have you on again in the future. But before we let you go, um, would you like to say any last words, shout outs or uh, yeah, just let last uh, last words, I guess. Would I already said that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to I guess the first thing I would say is I want to thank everybody that has has kind of joined me on this journey with Faction. And I, I appreciate everyone that has either purchased skates or come seen me at an event or stopped to say hello or, or what have you. I, I truly appreciate um, being welcomed into this industry. And um, I'm very happy with the way that we've been received. And I appreciate every person that's been involved. Um, I, I would thank you know, Justin Thursday for being down for the cause and Mike Rios being down for the cause um, and all the team members that I have now. They've been supportive through this process and I appreciate everything that they've been able to contribute to the brand. Kelly, it's been awesome oh. having you on. What, there's more? One more. One. Go for it. I have, I have to thank my wife, Heidi, for letting me do this stuff because uh, she's the real champion. <laughs> okay.
I was about to say, there's, there's not, I, I, I've not met your, I've not had the opportunity to meet your <laughs> wife yet, but to, but to see everything that you uh, do and to have that support, listen, it's, uh, it's so important to have that support at home and especially with a lot of the products that you're taking on and bringing into, you know, your own home. So uh, that she, that's a, that's a, that's a huge thing to have. So huge shout out to her as well. Absolutely. Hell yeah. Clark, thank you for being a part of this show. Everyone, thank you for watching. Thank you to Blank for sponsoring this episode. I mean, we will all see you at uh, Bitter Cold this weekend. So if you're traveling to Bitter Cold, get there safe. We'll see you in a few days. It's going to be cold. <laughs> it's going to be cold. Dress warm. <laughs> it's going to be bitter cold out there. Dress warm. Clark, thank you again for joining us, and we'll see you all in the next one. Absolutely. Peace.